So this morning, uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, what a great day. Um, what an amazing time to live. Uh, I know that um, what I'm going to talk about today uh, is may seem uh, not the appropriate time, uh, but I think it is the appropriate time. Uh, I think that it's an amazing time to talk about, we're going to talk about marriage today, and in two weeks we'll pick this up back again. We're going to talk about wives today, specifically for wives. Um, I, I don't want to see a show of hands, but uh, uh, have you been, you know, how's your marriage doing uh, during the quarantine? You're spending more time together. Uh, you're frustrated. Your uh, husband or wife has watched too much news. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, and uh, you've watched too much news. And it, it's an interesting thing when you get frustrated and there's no one else around. You're, you're like, who can I get? Fr oh, my, my spouse. That's a good idea. Um, that's the one I'm going to take it out on, all my frustrations of life. Um, I, I want to I talk to you, but, but, but first I just want to say this, that marriage is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Uh, it's so amazing you know, it's almost like it was created, right? Like the, someone had an idea about it. Uh, it is an amazing thing. Marriage is such a beautiful thing, a lifelong partnership uh, that we would share life, the joys and sorrows of life, the intimacy of marriage, the generations that would flow out of that intimacy, and to be able to spend days growing up in your youth uh, and then go through the phases of life and then share those last days as well. What a, what a beautiful thing that the Lord has created for us. And uh, I realize that some of you here today um, uh, have been married a long time. And you could probably speak about some of these things even better than I. Um, and some of you, you know, you're not even married yet and you're saying it looks kind of crazy and I don't know if I want to get married. Um, I, I want to encourage you that you need to hear from God today at whatever phase of life you're at because uh, he is the creator of marriage, but also, you know, he's the one who loves you most. He loves you most and he has uh, these things for us. And so this morning as we look at uh, the wife, particularly, um, it, it, this is what we want to hear from. We want to hear from God today. Um, and so this is so important. I want to encourage you to stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you uh, from First Peter chapter 2, starting, <clears throat> actually, First Peter chapter th 3, starting at the first verse. And I want to read down through verse 7. Uh, we'll get verse 7 in two weeks, but I wanted to give you the context. Likewise, wives, uh, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they might may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the, uh, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning uh, be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. <clears throat> For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God, we ask your blessing on your word and that your spirit uh, would teach us now. Uh, God, we, we struggle in many ways, and uh, this morning I ask that you would help uh, these words to be an encouragement to our ladies, um, that they would be um, directed and uh, guided in their minds and their hearts of how to act and how to live, how to walk with you. God, give them courage and strength. Uh, God, we ask your blessing on your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a warning to husbands right now. Please listen. Um, how many of you? How many husbands have guns? I'm not looking. I'm not taking a, a picture of this right here. It's a, guns. Uh, you have a couple of guns. You have a couple of guns. Jeff Brader, a couple of guns, one or two, just two, just two. The rest are all in your wife's name. Uh, but uh, um, so, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, we're in Kern County and we're in Bear Valley Springs in Kern County, and so uh, there's a few guns lying around here. You know, we're we're heavily armed uh, up here, and most of you think that guns are a good thing. Um, very powerful, very powerful. Uh, and I just want to tell you, so is the Bible. So is the Bible. It's very powerful. It's more powerful than guns. Um, and uh, have you ever heard the phrase, shoot yourself in the foot? You can do that with guns. You know, if you want to watch, you can uh, watch um, Andy Griffith, uh, Barney Fife, every other episode, he shoots himself in the foot. Uh, I want to tell you, men, if you use the scripture to beat your wife up with, uh, you're shooting yourself in the foot, and it's, that's not the purpose of this. And so even this last week, I heard uh, one lady in frustration say, you know, it's the only verse her husband knows is the one of submission. Um, that's a bad deal, men. That's a bad deal. And so this morning, as we dive into this, I want to warn you about that. And love your wife. We're going to get to your verse next week, or two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Um, the passage goes like this. It starts out saying likewise, and the context goes like this. If you look back uh, in the last three, four weeks, we've been looking at uh, the scripture goes. Uh, how do you how do you deal with government, even ungodly government? How do you deal with them as a believer in Jesus Christ? What do you do with an emperor or a governor that's bad, and I don't want to talk too much about that, but, um, but how do you do that? How, how does that work? And then the next passage is masters. Uh, how do you deal with a master that's cruel and, and bad? And then he, he uh, talks about the, the beauty of the gospel and kind of the, the center of how we do this, the, to, to watch the suffering of Christ. As we, as we look at that, the suffering of Christ being our model 
He then goes on in chapter 3 and he says, likewise. And what he's doing, he's saying, remember master-servant relationship? Remember your relationship to the government? Now is a similar thing to that. Likewise, wives. And he turns to the wives and he says, I want to give you something. I want to give you some hope and help in these difficult days. The New Testament, as it was written, most of the churches and most of the uh, the letters that were written were written to kind of new believers. And so uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. And as a new believer, people would be coming to faith at different times. Many times in marriages, one would come and not the other. Uh, and as we look at this passage, you really get the picture that as he turns to wives, that maybe it's not a great situation. And I have three points uh, for you this morning. Uh, the first one is to, for ladies to be subject or be submissive. Um, God's word says, likewise, wives, be subje- subject to your own husbands. Um, well, let's talk about that. First of all, it's your own husband. Uh, women, you are not to uh, just see yourself as a, a doormat or anything like that. That's not what the word of God's talking about. But there's a special relationship to your husband. I would even encourage you uh, young ladies, if you're not married, to think this through. Part of what it is to walk with God and to get married is the idea of can I see myself in partnership in a submissive relationship to this man for a lifetime, for a lifetime. Uh, That's important to think through as you think through what God expects and God requires for us in marriage. And so he says to your own husbands. Now, as we go on, and I really see this is such an important verse for us. And I want to encourage you, ladies, if you're struggling in your marriage, go to these verses. Because I think they'll be great encouragement to you. He says, uh, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word. Boy, that's a, a, a shocker right there. If some of them do not obey the word. Because... In logic, in our own minds, what do you think, ladies? I will follow my husband. I will uh, be subject to him when he agrees with me. Or even more spiritual, when he agrees with God. When he agrees with God. When he does, when he's walking with the Lord, when he's doing everything that, that I think he should do according to the Scriptures, that's when I'll be subject to him. But this, this is not that passage at all. If you look at that, you realize that it's even when hey, he's not obeying, even if he's not walking with the Lord, if he, even if he does not obey the word. I really believe that as uh, he's talking about this, he's talking about really the worst case scenario. And then he's working backwards. Uh, most of you ladies here uh, have great husbands. I know some of them. I, I know they're, you know, uh, they're a bit of a fixer-upper in some areas, but uh, they're a work in progress, and God's done a work, and so there's great comfort in that because you've seen the work of God, the Holy Spirit working in your husband's life, and so there's, there's great comfort in that. But this is talking about uh, all the variations of failings of a husband, one that he doesn't know the Lord at all. He's not obeying the word at all. And then beyond that, back to the small things of life. He's, God's word says, ladies, uh, 
be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, uh, this connects, this idea of not obeying the word connects with a bad government, a bad master, right? They're, they're all being connected right there. And, and let me be clear, ladies, let me be clear. And if you've ever heard me talk to husbands, um, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And the husbands, we, you know, when we get together and talk about that, it's difficult. But know this, that, that God, it, it's not that it's just for a husband to be bad to his wife. It's just a reality sometimes. And so God wants to address that and say, I want to give you courage and strength in a bad day, a difficult day. I love the heart of the scripture here because it says, um, it, it says, be subject to your own husband so that even if some of them do, do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. We turn to really the wives who win, right? And, and I, I love the heart of this and I've seen this in many wives that they, they have a heart for their husband. They have a heart to win him in the Lord, that, that he would know the same truth and freedom, uh, freedom of guilt and freedom from sin that they know. And they share that and, and the desire of a wife to, to want that and to win her husband. I want to tell you, there's the game plan right here in the scripture of how to win your husband to the Lord. What a, what a powerful thing that God gives us it's one without a word. I know that's counterintuitive, ladies. I know it is. Uh, I'm not saying ladies, some of you are laughing right now. You're saying that ladies talk a lot. No, that's, uh, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not true either, okay? I'm just, but it's counterintuitive to us that we think that if we can uh, just talk a good game and if we can explain and logically proceed and, and remind over and over again that that's the way that you'll change your husband. I want to tell you that that may be a way to change your husband, but it's not God's way. It's not God's way. God's way to change what, what he wants to use in a marriage is the character and actions of his wife. I think that's so powerful, and I've seen it. I've seen it in some of you that God has changed your husband because he's watched your life, and uh, it's been a constant reflection and reminder of God's goodness to him, but also a conviction that uh, life needs to change uh, because he looks at his wife. This word subject, I want to talk about this real briefly. I've, I've shared with you this before. Um, it's not the idea. Let me, let me be clear, ladies. Uh, if you are in um, a dangerous marriage, a dangerous marriage where there's a fear for your safety, uh, th- that's not a place where you stay and, and get beat up. That's not the point here. Okay, I, w- I want to make that clear. But this is not, this is not a, saying that. This is, this is saying, even if you're unhappy today, I, I, I don't want any unhappy marriages at Bear Valley Church, but there might be days for that, okay? And the idea is just because you're not getting what you want, just because life isn't turned out the way you want it, doesn't mean you leave. Does you know the the phrase that pastors hear all the time? Well, God wants me to be happy, right? I want to tell you uh, that's not necessarily in the scripture. 
Uh, it, there is a talk of happiness and joy. And you know where that comes from? Obeying Him. Obeying Him and walking with Him. And so I want to encourage you ladies to not just disregard this and say, well, I don't like who my husband is and so I'm off the hook. This passage is an encouragement to you. This picture of subjection is a military term that he already used uh, twice, uh, as I shared with you before. It's the idea of seeing yourself as uh, underneath, underneath and being able to take uh, direction. And I think that's important to see. Some of you don't like the way that sounds, but I want to I want to encourage you. And some of you in the who have been in the military know about this. Just because someone outranks you in the military does not mean they're a better person than you. It just means they're more responsible than you. And there, there's this idea that uh, as God holds accountable um, a, a marriage, He will hold accountable the husband more than the wife. And they'll be held accountable for different things as well. And so as we look at this, we see this as God calling, uh, God calling, that's an important way to say it, God calling wives to be subject to their own husbands. And in so doing, those husbands will be one without a word. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound great that there's a, a... a winning that uh, a godly wife does. Uh, there's this idea that uh, it's winsome and drawing in and drawing to the Lord that you can lead your husband to the Lord, ladies, by the way you live as he sees your life. As we move on, uh, we see be subject, but we also see be beautiful, be beautiful in verse 3. Hopefully we'll not take off. We do hang on, hang on. We'll go parasailing or whatever it is. God's Word says this, and it's a call for you ladies to be beautiful. It says this, be beautiful. Uh, It says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. It's interesting, in the, in the time where First Peter was written, uh, the, the idea of extravagance in ladies was just coming in. And the idea of, uh, of gold jewelry and various fine stones and it extremely ornate and going over the top uh, was very important to ladies. I, when I read that in uh, biblical studies, I think, uh, would it compare till now? I, I think I think now is a pretty significant time. Where's my guy? Thank you. Caleb, why don't you just grab a chair and sit back behind me? <laughs> Got my back? It's my bodyguard. Uh, so as we look at this, we realize this, that uh, that was true in that culture, that exterior things mattered a ton, and the idea that you can be beautiful because of the clothes you wear, the things you buy, that can make you beautiful. It's interesting, uh, we, we many times get uh, 
get deceived by the outward appearance, not just with people, but with things. You think about uh, houses where, you know, they put a, a paint job on it or they put new carpet in to cover up the moldy floors or whatever, right? Uh, you, you, can, you can put a few new touches on that makes it look perfect, but it doesn't reveal what's going on inside. And that's the, the point here, ladies. It's not that you shouldn't be beautiful on the outside, but it shouldn't be dependent upon uh, the things that you put on, whether you are truly beautiful or not. The external, he talks about the hair, the jewelry, the clothing. Um, and he says, but instead, verse 4, uh, but let your adorning, uh, uh, put the work in, if you will, uh, to the hidden person of the heart. And and that doesn't sound right, does it? I, I realize that most of you ladies are, are deep people and you go, I get it, I get it. To work on our heart is where the true beauty lies. And that's, you, you get that. But it says, you know, work on the thing that isn't seen. And you say, well, wait a minute. If it's not seen, why are we working on it? It doesn't make sense. If no one's going to see uh, the hidden person within, why should we be working on it? Uh, there's a very important answer to that. I'm going to get to it. He says, uh, uh, let, not, let your adorning, verse 4, be the hidden person of the heart. And then it says this, with the imperishable, imperishable beauty. Uh, why should we work on the hidden person of the heart? Because it's imperishable. That, that's the thing that's going to last. You think about things that are going to last. Is your clothing going to last? Is it st- it's interesting how we all have a piece of clothing that we loved when we got it. And maybe it's not as lovable as when we got it. It's not something that is beautiful. We saw it in the store. We, you know, we were pointing and clicking online. And it, you, you, you got that and you're super excited about it. But now you're tired of it. And it's tired, right? Uh, you think about even jewelry, ladies. And um, jewelry uh, goes out of style, Right? There's some jewelry that you, you've had and you said, oh, this was handed down and this is so valuable, but it's so ugly too. Uh, it will perish, right? It's, it's the picture of it won't last. And he says, I want to tell you, you need to be working on that which will last, that imperishable thing, that, 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 that which is the hidden person. He says the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I want to focus on this this morning, gentle and quiet spirit. Um, this is, you know, uh, I, I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful. This is not a personality. Gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality. Uh, some of us come from uh, louder families and we have louder voices and uh, we we laugh louder and we talk louder and it's not just a personality. This is a work of God, a work of God. I want I want to connect you with these two words because I think they're important for you to see where they are, ladies. Um, and once again, it's not the doormat. It's not the doormat. It's not uh, telling wives to go sit in the corner and be quiet. That's not it at all. 
the two words, the first one, gentle, uh, these words aren't used that much in the scripture, but I, I think they're important, the usage, very important. First of all, gentle uh, or meek uh, is used in Matthew 21, verse 5. And as you, if you could look that up, I, I love it. I love it because it describes how Jesus came into the city on a donkey. So, so get this, ladies. Get this. It's very important. How should you be gentle and meek? In the same way that Jesus came and was humble as he came in to the city uh, to be crucified, that's the picture. This is not just a woman word is what I'm saying. Get it. It's, it's, a, it's an extremely powerful word. It's taking a position of meek and gentle. It's not the idea of like being weak and you can't do anything and oh, woe is me. That's not it at all. It's taking the position, the humble position. As Jesus went to the cross, he took that as he sat on the donkey as he went into the city. The, the word quiet, the word quiet uh, is used really, I think it's only one other time in the New Testament. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And that, that is uh, calling for us to pray for our leaders so that what we would live a quiet life, that we would be able to live a quiet life. The, the idea of the quiet life in that passage is a good, quiet life. It's the idea that we are enjoying the blessings of God and, and living the life that He has given us. It's the picture of not uh, going out and wanting more and always... Uh, being discontent but this picture of being content and right where we are enjoying the blessings of god quiet this is the one that god describes a gentle and quiet spirit and i I think it's i think it's interesting he describes he uses the word spirit meaning the spirit of the woman the wife of a person that your spirit would be gentle and quiet why because when inside you are gentle and quiet, it will come out in the way you act. It's that word that's settled or peaceful or the idea that uh, life is okay on the inside and so the outside can't touch us. Um, in verse 4, this is what it says, and this is important. It says, which in God's sight is very precious. So I want you to picture this, ladies. I want you to picture this. Um, who are, are you beautiful for? Who are you beautiful for? God. God. Who, who are you living for? God. And, and this picture here is that he will see your life, that hidden person, that, that place where maybe no one else can see. He sees that and he sees it as precious or valuable or good. He approves and and he treasures you as you walk with him in this way. It's interesting as we go shopping and see things, we'll see things, you know, if uh, there's many times I, I go into a store and I go, that's ugly. That's ugly. I'd never buy that. And other people will come right behind you and go, oh, I can't believe they have it. What a price. And you go, why are, we, why are you getting that? You know, that's ridiculous. Uh, the, that's, the, that's the picture. And, and, 
when you look at who values what, it might be totally different. But God's describing for us, ladies, what's precious in His eyes. What He values. What He sees is the, this is the one that I want. He gives us uh, a model. Um, and I'd say, we say, be subject, be beautiful. Uh, and then lastly, be like Sarah. Be like Sarah. Verse 5, he says, For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening you. It wasn't just Sarah. It's the truth of all godly women throughout history, right? He says uh, uh, there's a group or a squad of women that have valued this in the past. And Sarah is the example of that. That Abraham and Sarah, Sarah treated her husband, it says as Lord. It's not as Lord as absolute, but with respect, desiring to follow him. And, and that last line, I think it describes well. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening you. Ladies, why, uh, why is it, why do you want to disobey God or uh, not follow your husband? Why? Well, you're afraid, right? Afraid that you're not going to get what you want? Afraid that uh, things aren't going to work out well for you? Afraid... Uh, that it's going to be another one of your husband's dumb ideas that sends you off the cliff. Afraid, afraid. And the, the, the point that, that describes Sarah here is this, that she is living her life doing good, doing good, thinking about what God wants her to do. Hold on. Uh, and then... Uh, if I don't turn around, it's not happening, right? Uh, those last two things that it says about Sarah that she she does good and she's not afraid ladies that should describe you as you live with your husband I want to give you three things real quickly as we close before we sail away wives and everyone um, first thing wives I want to tell you is be encouraging to your husband you want to see God work in his life, I want to encourage you to do so, to, to be that model, that winsome model, to encourage your husband. Secondly, I'd say this, live for God, not yourself or your husband. I think that the picture here is this, it's very important, and I, I think it's modeled over and over again, uh, with government, with your master, that's what happens when you mess around in church. You get taken away. You get taken away. Uh, second thing is this. Uh, live for God, not yourself and not your husband. Think about that. As you, as you think about the decisions that we make, a lot of times we try to please others or we try to please ourselves. The point of this passage is that we would live in such a way that it would be precious in the sight of God. And then lastly, I'd say this, look for models. Look for models. Uh, this is true for everyone, right? That we would look for models. That we would look around and we would say, uh, hey, uh, what, uh, 
what does this look like? I, I, I need a picture of it. And to see people that are walking with the Lord. Ladies, you should be finding other ladies that love their husbands, that walk with the Lord. Uh, young men, young women, we're to look up to people. This is, we've got to find them. It's very important. Uh, so as we do that, let me pray for us and ask that God would do this in our lives. God, thank you for the ladies here today. I pray for their encouragement. I pray that we would be a church that cherishes them as you do. Uh, I ask that you would give them encouragement in amongst themselves to point each other to follow after you. God, thank you for your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.